Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport from an O2 arena that, as you can very much hear, is in the process of being dismantled. We're probably about 35 minutes post the victory of Grigor Dimitrov, the biggest of his career. Three sets, 7-5, 4-6, 6-3 over David Goffin to lift the inaugural NITO ATP Finals trophy. Of course, it's not the inaugural uh, ATP Finals, but it's the inaugural one associated with NITO, a uh, brand that I've learned all sorts of things about this week. Apparently, they sell uh, both uh, technology-based products and stationery. So uh, <laughs> they're a brand for all occasions. Anyway, I've given them far too much airtime. They, sponsorship. along with Costa Coffee, are not sponsoring this podcast. I am Catherine Whitaker. I am joined by David Law, fresh from the commentary box. In fact, we are alongside the BBC Radio 5 Live commentary box. We're alongside the BBC television studio, which is in the same little complex overlooking the court as the 5 Live commentary box. So I've seen Sue Barker leave. I've seen Andrew Castle scuttle off. He looked like he was wearing a sort of disguise, so he didn't get harangued by autograph hunters in the corridors of the O2. And yes, David, you got to commentate on the second thrilling set of that final. Uh, I did, uh, and I didn't have to exit the... uh the commentary box in disguise. David uh, is not getting harangued by autograph no. hunters and isn't even in disguise. I'm waving at people <laughs> and hoping that somebody will harass me, but no, uh, sadly not. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's been a really special final that has, and we, we we sit here overlooking the court as it's being dismantled before our very eyes. And I've just seen somebody lying on the court in the confetti pretending to swim and this is what people do at this yes. point is they to start paint to the silly. picture for you i think that is sort of all members of atp staff that are now in the center of the court having their photo taken amidst the confetti i say we're about 35 40 minutes post final we're only about two minutes post grigor dimitrov leaving the court yeah, because he was out there for 20 minutes it's fair to say he he milked the moment and Why good luck you? to him yeah. yeah i mean it was it was great a great final and full of tension because this meant the world to those two guys particularly Grigor I mean look I'm I'm sure 
Goffin desperately wanted to win that match. But he does have the Davis Cup final next week. For Dimitrov, this was such a massive moment. He had to win this, in my opinion. He... He, he couldn't just put up a good showing and, and narrowly miss out. He had to win it if he was going to make another step in his career. This is a huge step for him of its own right, but also for the future. He's up to three in the world now. That's a big step in itself. Uh, also, the pressure, I think, was ramped up on the final because Dimitrov had beaten Goffin love and two in the group stages that just heaped the expectation on him didn't it because everybody thought well we had a conversation pre-final I I think I won't put it in quite the terms that I put it to David at the the time but basically I I, I said this is Grigor's to lose isn't it but will he hold his nerve I may or may not have used a c-word I you know will he hold his nerve because he has been pretty open with how nervous he has felt throughout this week and it's he's failed to disguise his evident nerves in the crucial moments and uh, Pat Cash in your commentary yourself and uh, Russell Fuller for Five Live talked about him sort of stumbling over the finish line a couple of lines you know just uh, a couple of times just getting his body over that line and so I put that to you and you said well if you go from beating someone love and two to to losing to him in the space of a week something's going wrong yeah it would have been it would have been devastating I thought it would be a lot closer um, right from before the match. I, I thought Goffin wasn't there, wasn't present a, couple, a few days ago in that match and, and he just got steamrolled, really. Nerves never got a chance to come into it from a Dimitrov perspective. And we were also had the question marks over the fitness of Goffin at that point because he had a knee strapping. We, I think we really thought he was unlikely to, to play a, a Hev- role and get to the final. Heavily taped up left knee. Yeah, yeah, and he had that today. But since then, of course, he's beaten Roger Federer and in the semi-finals and shown really no effects physically at all. So he came out today ready to go, fresh. Um, he he turned that first set around. It was. Dimitrov who won the first set having been 3-1 down wasn't it and, and Goffin really came out and, and I've seen that in a few of the matches they've played in the past that Goffin has started quickly got a break of serve I think the, how early he takes the ball and snaps the ball back at Dimitrov before he's really even finished his extravagant strokes sometimes puts Grigor on the back foot but every, virtually every other time they've played apart from the Rotterdam one when I think Dimitrov was a bit a bit weary after winning Sofia I think Dimitrov just works him out after a while usually this was different this was Dimitrov eventually getting on top in that first set and there was just a moment halfway through that second set when he he could have won it in straight sets he, he set himself up a break point great nerve shown by Goffin to hit the line and, and save a break point and that was a real match t- turner at that point. And, and huge credit to Grigor Dimitrov for serving it out because he had the three match points in the previous game on the Goffin serve, didn't he? And you, you, I mean, uh, nerves are rarely so visually evident as with Grigor Dimitrov. He yeah. lays it all out there for you, doesn't he? I mean, we're talking about a guy here that after his first match here, I can't even remember who it was against now. Was it against Jack Sock? No, he played Dominic Team. didn't he? played Dominic Team. Talking about a guy that couldn't speak because he was so overcome with emotion just at being here. Just at being here, winning a match here qualifying here performing in front of this crowd he was completely overcome he was overcome again yesterday after winning the semi-final against Jack Sock I mean the guy 
could barely speak. And, you know, and, his and, emotions are laid bare for us. The and way it, it manifests itself as well in his game is that he goes because he's got this extravagant, expressive, flourishing, gorgeous game to watch that is really it's daredevil the way he plays tennis he goes for things that make you just gasp and and that's why we love watching him play when he's nervous he tightens up visually in front of your eyes he 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 suddenly is going for safe shots and he's he's kind of muscling the ball over the net with his shoulder he's heaving it over the net and it's like he can't really play anymore properly it's not not Grigor Dimitrov anymore that happened last night in the the Jack Sock match and what must have been going through his mind in that one given that he'd lost his two previous matches against Sock both having saved match points the previous one in Indy Wells he'd, he'd lost four match points uh, and, and eventually lost the match there he was doing exactly the same sort of thing last night and he just about and that was a real stumble over the finish line yeah. this one Pat Cash described it on match point he said he ultimately used his athleticism to win the match because he couldn't hit through Goffin anymore he wasn't loose enough he wasn't explosive enough he used his movement and it was ultimately a sliced backhand with Goffin approaching the net and unable to control a volley that won him that match and the relief that spilled out of Grigor Dimitrov as he lay flat on his face oh dear it was it was enough to make you you, Not sob with emotion, but no, just but you, sort of be, be be relieved for him. He really. makes you feel it, doesn't he? There's something about that. It, it's very, it's very different. He's obviously a completely different character to Juan Martín del Potro, but he makes you feel what he's feeling somehow. Yeah. He, he's he's very raw and exposed out there. He did his thanking of, of Nicole Scherzinger, just in case anyone was speculating about whether or not that they were still together. That was quite a big together. moment, wasn't it? It was quite a big moment. I'd like to thank my girlfriend Nicole, as if no one knew who Nicole was. Yeah, she's on the Bloomin' X Factor, being bananas every week. We're not really into the old gossip, but that was a quite quite a bit of a juicy. There one. was a bit of a, a sharp intake of breath, wasn't there? Um, but yeah, you, you you feel all of his ups and downs, and now, of course, there's going to be enormous expectation on him going into the Australian Open, quite possibly as a top four seed. Uh, it, it's pretty tight well, between him be that, and Sasha Zverev, but well, I think, I mean, unless something inordinate happens in in Brisbane, I haven't. What you're exposing here, David, is that I've not officially done the maths. But yes, OK, he is likely to be... We know he's be... going to be world number three. That much we do know when the rankings are out tomorrow. And that's that's going to look pretty good to him. Um, but he... In terms of the way he makes people feel, the other thing I notice is he's kind of got time for everybody. He is a tactile human being. He is a... Uh, he's a giver, really. As a, <laughs> he as was a, a giver when he was uh, doing his victory lap. He was having a selfie with. In fact, he was inviting people over for a selfie. If people were standing there not asking him for a selfie, he was offering one up to them. Would, yeah. would you? Would you like a selfie with me? I have just. I've just won this trophy. Would, would you like a selfie <laughs> and with me and the trophy? No. But when he, I noticed when he shook hands with Mohamed Lani at the net. I mean, there's an umpire who would have been ever present throughout his whole career, and he shook hands with him, two hands on Mohamed Lani's <laughs> hand, as if he wanted to drag him out of the chair and just give him a big hug as well because he just needed to to let all of this emotion out that was pent up for from all this well all these years let alone this match Simon Briggs has joined us he's hot-footed it you're you're both hot-footed I've been sat here luxuriating all evening you two have been hot-footing it from various different working areas Simon you've just completed your write-up I guess of this final is Grigor Dimitrov a champion that the British public are going to 
take unto their hearts? Well, I think it's fair to say it was an easier piece to write this way round than it would have been if David Goffin had won. I mean, I've, I've interviewed Goffin, he's a very nice chap. He doesn't quite come with the sort of envelope of, of excitement that uh, Dimitrov creates through his private life, through his kind of charisma, the Goffin game as well. It's, it's, very, it's very tight and neat, but it's not quite as compelling, is it? So just everything about Dimitrov, I mean, actually, I didn't mention my piece. I should have mentioned, I now realise I should have mentioned the old Showtime nickname, which is that Brad Gilbertism, but it's a good one because, you know, the guy does look like he should be on prime time tv and tonight he was how high up the piece you work for a very respectable paper the telegraph simon how high up the piece is the mention of uh, of old shirzy yeah. which line <laughs> well i think i've actually i think you might be quite impressed with this he's having a look i'm, I'm, I'm calling up the uh, the recently filed copy but i did as, as it's out of my email um i did just put in brackets who had previously dated Serena Williams and Maria Sharapova. It wasn't oh, in. Simon! <laughs> so tabloid. It, it wasn't in the original version. I just, uh, so, so they've got first par, second par, third par, fourth par, fifth par, sixth par. Hang on, we're down to say a seven, par is a paragraph se- for all you. Seventh par, we've got the Annabelle Croft quote, and then eighth par, we've got the explanation. That Hang on, no, no, no. I, think, I, th- I see the words girlfriend, Nicole. Annabelle Croft gets a mention above Nicole mm. Scherzinger. Wow. No, 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 you better not um, draw that, that to the attention of my uh, sports editor, who'll probably feel that I've, I've missed the story yet again. So, if you want to read in the seventh paragraph Simon Briggs's take on uh, Grigor Dimitrov uh, paying tribute to his girlfriend Nicole Scherzinger of X Factor and Pussycat Dolls fame, the Telegraph is the place for you to go. Well, no, I, I think uh, well, I think if you want to read about that, then you probably should read a different paper. I'm sure. <laughs> but the some beauty other, is, it's all covered. It's that, all covered. Some other institutions would have gone to town on it a little bit more. But that's the beauty. You get the highbrow seven pars before you get to that even mentioned. In the Telegraph by Simon Briggs. What do we think of David Goffin and what this will ta- have taken out of him ahead of the Davis Cup final? Is this only good news for him in terms of the Davis Cup final or from a, a physical standpoint with that very heavily strapped knee? He's, he's not a f- physically strong-looking man, is he? I mean, I know he has reserves beyond his stature, but we're talking about a guy that I discovered whilst watching the BBC TV coverage this week weighs less than me, which... I think should be depressing for both myself and David. Yeah, but I mean, he looks you know. about 150 pounds. Is that what they're saying? Hang on, we we don't just talk numbers, Simon. We don't do numbers. Uh, yeah, I, mean, Andy, yeah, I think Andy, he's about the same as me, probably. As Andy Roddick used to say, he looks like he has to run around in the shower to get wet. Yes, that. So back to the question: um, Where does this stand him in terms of the Davis Cup final? Well. It, it, I mean, this is why I don't like doing predictions, because you never know what their bodies are like. I mean, they, 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 you, I think that because he's so light, actually that helps him. I, don't, I think that, that, that probably... Thanks, Simon. Thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, well, I'm, 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 you know, Goffin is unusual in, in his general just sort of tininess, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's taller, I suppose, than the Darcis brothers, you know, who, who, who were known as, as, as a Belgian kind of the, the small end of the scale. The Dan Evans is a Belgium. That's a niche, isn't it? Producing diminutive tennis players. The Rockus Brothers. Sorry, yeah, I, I meant the Rock, I meant the Rockus Brothers, but also oh. I, I meant and Darcy. Steve Darcy. Yes, yeah. so Darcy isn't. He's not a brother, but he, he, he may have a brother. Yeah, but, but he, he, he might be is he, he certainly isn't very big, and he's, he's smaller than Goffin, isn't he? Yeah. Well, anyway, so it remains. Simon's making no predictions. It remains to be seen. Belgian but, player Dick Norman was six foot eight. 
I'm not saying there are no tall Belgians. <laughs> I, think, I think we're on territory that I hadn't intended when I brought up this conversation. It feels like we're going back in time hugely now, now that we see the O2 Arena being dismantled. But, of course, we have to touch upon other events prior to the final at the O2, going back what feels like a million years, the withdrawal of Nadal after that first defeat to David Goffin. Are we to make anything of it? Is it he just ran out of steam? He'd withdrawn from this event five times before, so it's nothing new. He, it, it's nothing new for his body not to be able to last mm. to the very dregs of the tennis season, is it? I can't understand what he was doing here. I mean, it's baffling to me because he could have had two whole weeks before here to start thinking about 2018 and 2017 for, for Nadal was built you know, in the off-season. It was quite a dramatic press conference, wasn't it, when he came in after he had lost that thriller to Goffin. He said, I'm done, it's, my season's over. He said, I made a commitment to myself and to the city and to the event that I would come here and that I would try, but it was clear I was never going to... There was, it was all quite poetic and dramatic, and for something that had been foreshadowed by a lot of people, it still had quite a dramatic effect. I think there was quite a lot of pride in wanting to play and to get that player of the year trophy or whatever it was, the world number one trophy and paraded around, which he was able to do, take to the court, get the acclaim. And then I think realisation hit. Actually, I'm just not physically ready here. And he, he, he kept with it, didn't he? We're just having a look up above us here because we're, we're wondering whether the commentary box is going to collapse yeah, Bits upon of us. BBC Studio are sort of cascading down on David Thankfully, Law's head. Thankfully, Sue Barker is no longer <laughs> up there because if she wasn't, she would be pretty dramatically. It was, pretty, it was made pretty public, wasn't it, that Carlos Moy didn't want him to come and play here. It was definitely sort of Rafa overruling his team and saying, which I suppose does indicate an element of pride, doesn't it? It's heart over heart overhead. Yeah, uh, I, I'm kind of with Simon because the moment that he pulled out of Paris, um, I think it was ahead of the quarterfinal, and I think we talked about it at the time, is how can he realistically expect to be 100% and compete in the short time he has available? It, it wasn't likely. Um, and, well, that's, that's how it proves. It's, it's a shame. I, I, I don't know how I feel because, in a way... It's a shame for the event that he played that match and then you've got Public Arena Buster coming in, you've got the whole draw messed up a bit because he can't qualify, etc. Although Corina Buster actually put in a, a good shift in his match against Dominic Team, and that was quite entertaining. But no, uh, look, Nadal's a bit like we've talked about with Federer. These guys can do what they like, really. They've earned that right to, to give it a go or not. I just don't quite understand why he, why he did. And what about Federer? To me... He looked completely grumpy all week. I can only attribute that to his back troubling him. That, that for me, without him having explicitly said that in explanation, seems the most likely cause for, frankly, a, a very well below par and below bar in terms of contentment, Roger Federer this week. Yeah, he didn't play that badly, did he? Um, he, he obviously won all three group matches. Um, and then couldn't live with Goffin when Goffin played an excellent couple of sets on Saturday. Uh, Jamie Delgado made a good point, I think, in commentary somewhere where he said that Roger had taken a day off practice entirely and he probably wouldn't have done that if he'd been feeling anything like his best. It was a little bit like um, the US Open, wasn't it? He, he never really seemed to settle into the US Open either. 
He's coming off Montreal, hadn't had the time to prepare, all that stuff. And just here, he's not 100% fresh in every tournament he plays because he takes longer to recover. But the, the amazing thing is that he still beats the majority of the top 10 when he's not quite right. And yet, just thinking back, Simon, to when we were sitting having dinner in the uh, press restaurant after the first set of Goffin Federer in that semi, and he was just toying with Goffin in that set. He was hitting just everything was turning to gold and and it was pretty dramatic the drop-off I mean I don't think we would have seen that coming for a second he was six love in head-to-head against Goffin and then he he rolls over him 6-2 in that first set I mean I do wonder whether there might have been a real twinge of some description he doesn't really show much does he but I wonder whether there was because the way he went off the ball I mean look I don't want to take anything away from Goffin I realize I am because he actually opened his shoulders and took him on but still yeah, I mean, I felt like in the US Open, I felt I saw more of that. I, I felt like his movement was sort of visibly a little bit off. I mean, it's very hard to tell, isn't it? Unless you are actually Pierre Paganini. But I had that sense that he was uh, not quite in the right place a lot of the time at the US Open. Whereas I didn't necessarily feel that against Goffin. I just felt he was just lacking in verve and, and, and energy, really. Interestingly, though, one of the things he said uh, on the eve of this tournament in the pre-tournament press was that he intends to play more next year. He ten- intends to play a lot fuller a schedule. What do we think of that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, his reasoning was that he can't expect himself to be as successful as he was this year and therefore going all the way to the final and playing that many matches at each event he plays. He also cited the rankings, didn't he, that he wants to maintain, if brackets, I'm adding the brackets here, if not improve, his ranking of number two. And he f- But again, I wouldn't read too much into it because I'm quite, I would have guessed that if he'd have... If it had felt physically okay this year but not been winning that much, I think he'd have played more events. I think he was able to, to just ditch events as he went along because it was just going extremely well. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Paris. But, Still going too well. But if Rafa plays anything at all like he'd expect to in Australia, I don't see how Roger can get to number one until... Well, it's hard because you know Rafa would have to drop off in the clay court season uh, to give him a chink. And then you wouldn't expect Roger to have a heavy clay court schedule anyway. So he's got nowhere to collect points, Federer has he? Because he won everything at the start of the year, and that, well, it would it would be on the clay unless he starts playing, you know, Budapest, which no, I don't, I don't, I don't know about think you, but I, I find unlikely. I don't think he's bothered about number one particularly. I think he's more worried about making sure he's avoiding certain players um, and that he still has his aura of being up there in the rankings and, and, yeah, missing out people he doesn't want to play. Just in terms of a couple of other talking points that arose from this event before we talk about some big news away from this event that obviously broke uh, this week. Are we going to talk about Jack Sock? Well, what I have on my agenda, David, is Jack Sock and this strategic tank, (laughs) which is probably doing him a a disservice because, first of all, we should say... He, he was a, it was a real credit to this event this week, aside from his strategic tanking. Yeah, are we also <laughs> uh, going to get on to the Catherine Whitaker thinks he's probably the worst player that's ever played in the ATP I final? still largely stand by that. I, I think he... Got to the semi-finals. Yeah, he did, he did brilliantly. But How about the hands at the net? I, I, I have to say, I give it to him on that front. If he can um, f- improve the movement enough that he can be more of a, a front-court player, he... He could be a solid top ten player. I don't see him do it from the, doing it from, the, from consistently from the back of the court because of that backhand. 
But he did impress me this week. I still didn't so suddenly you, see a completely different player. You are somewhat holding your hands up. Then. You were wrong. No. What do you think, Simon? Jack Sock um, just didn't really give us stuff, did he? Which was kind of his, uh, his strength and his weakness. <laughs> I think he called it Definitely a strength, playing with house money. Yeah, I think, I think that helped him a lot. I really do. It kept him loose. That win he had over Alexander Zverev, I would put down to his phlegmatic approach to it all and just, I'm just going to rip the thing and let you choke. And that's exactly what Alexander Zverev admitted to. Yeah, he came into the press conference and said, I choked. And you could, feel, you could see him stiffen up, Zverev. Yeah. It was amazing. He, he wants it all to come too quickly, doesn't he, Zverev? He thinks he should be winning this event now and he puts too much pressure on himself. But anyway, Jack Sock and the strategic tank. Come on. <laughs> the six-love set we're talking against. Two six-love sets this week and a six-one set, which he made no attempt yeah. to disguise not being... It's a strategy that I, he has employed. Well, I think it's, it's, it's a strategy that he invokes when he's going to break down. I think he yeah. comes out in the second set and he's just fought his heart out for the first. He goes a breakdown and you can see his energy levels have just taken a nosedive. And he just thinks, you know what? I can't be doing with this. I also think there's a little bit of Kyrgios. Again, we've talked about this uh, in the past. He's good mates with Kyrgios. I think he's seen him do this stuff. Yeah, this and is my big opportunity to hit a whole set of tweeners. <laughs> yeah, he did, right. he, and, and he did have a go at the sort of front-on, unnecessary tweener lob. Um, <laughs> he did, uh, yeah. Which he, he, he narrowly missed. He also had a go at the turning his backside to Roger Federer Ooh. and offering it up to be hit at. That was which a lead story, wasn't I it, I don't for think it was enjoyed particularly by yeah, Roger. Quite, quite helpful on a quiet day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one, I mean... Uh, and, and Roger... It, the, 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 the quotes that Federer gave afterwards when written down, when the humour didn't come across, they were, they were pretty uh, touchy. He's got a big backside, yeah, he said. Yeah, he referred to Couldn't Jack Sock's uh, large backside, yeah. Unlike Davy Goffin. <laughs> yeah, I was we're going back, we're going back to the scales <laughs> in this conversation. Um, I mean, well, for one thing, Federer was definitely laughing all the way through that. And, and I, I think I wrote that paragraph saying that he was being a good sport, you know, getting involved in, in the gag and helping us to, to find a, an angle on what was a pretty quiet day. Uh, there's the opening day of the tournament, I believe. Um, uh, the strategy, to call it a strategy, is possibly going a bit far. To suggest that Jack, that Jack Sock has a strategy is possibly going a bit far. The bloke just shows up, probably wonders if he's left his rackets back at the hotel, um, hopes that he might have got you know, the right pair of, a pair of socks that match, and goes on the court. And um, he also, let's, let's remember, Aliage Bedenye called him out basically this year for being fat. Do you remember that at, at, at the French Open? I do. Yeah, uh, it was actually Aliage's sort of most notable contribution to the entire year. Probably, he um, he said that, uh, that we said you know we wouldn't have thought that you that you'd be playing Vegely in the next round. He said I did. You know, Jack Sock's not very fit because because had just um, taken out Sock in, in the previous round. And and you know, let's be honest, Sock isn't in the in in, in, the, um, in the in the greatest loser stakes. He's not on the same par as, as Davin Goffin, is he? If we're being delicate, I would call him relatable. <laughs> Relatable for like sort of your your man on the sofa, right. your club player. Yeah, but <laughs> he, I should just clarify. I think Simon meant uh, Bedene's uh, contribution to the coverage of uh, the British press, which uh, he he's not exactly Mister Quote normally, <laughs> is he? Some of his results have been quite good, but uh, you know that was a pretty t- particularly good quote. Um, no, I think that Sock. 
probably there has been a bit of a light bulb going on over the last few weeks. That winner win in Paris, I think, has probably shown him what he's capable of. And I thought he was he's really been good this this week. Will he be here next year? Just just in, on the strategic tank. No. That is something Jimmy Connors used to do in the but he was he was thirty nine <laughs> and he would go he would work his socks off to get to two sets to one and then basically realise my best chance of winning this is in the fifth. A when I've got my breath back and B when the other bloke thinks he's absolutely dominating me and then oh look, the crowd are suddenly getting excited because I'm having a comeback in the fifth. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a good talking point. I mean, it's not something that can ever be um, moderated or clamped down on, or you know. I think it's fair enough. It's a strategy. If you, I mean, look, if you, if you, I'm not sure the crowd at the time, whilst it's happening, feel like it's a particularly legitimate strategy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, Miles McLaggen on the radio said that maybe he just doesn't like being in front. (laughs) Um, I think McLaggen was actually quite serious about that, uh, suggesting that that he. He was happier to to play with with less pressure. You've provided me an excellent segue there, Simon, because I think somebody else who is not enjoying being at front at the moment is Marin Cilic. I felt this week that he was more likely to lose a tennis match after winning the first set. Like he's a he's a man that is just filling me with no confidence at the moment. It's not yeah. because he's not playing some fantastic tennis. He is, but what has happened to him mentally? Because I'm really sad to say this, but he is developing a reputation as a, a choker. Well, he's had some bad experiences this year. If you think back to the Queen's final, he should have won it. He was a set, I think, going to break up against Feliciano Lopez. He had numerous chances. He didn't win the match. Credit to Lopez, he, he, he did. Um, but there have been others, and there have been two this week. And they were shockers, to be honest. And, and those two losses against um, Zverev and Sok ended up costing him his chance of going all the way. He really should have been in the semis. And, and possibly beaten Federer as well. Yeah. Um, he, and also the ball bouncing now is getting no, so noticeable. And it must be also part of the whole thing that's going on in the head. And, I mean, and it's a gift to the opponent, isn't it? The opponent, I mean, it's something that fluctuates according to the scoreline, which is a complete giveaway in, into the state of mind of somebody, isn't it? If, if you know, you're, you're doing 20 ball bounces when you're uh, serving for the match and you're doing, you know, 10 when it's one game apiece in the first set, you know, that, that is, that's a gift to your opponent in, into how you feel. It's a tell, isn't it, in a, in a game of poker and... You know, all his tells are giving away not particularly positive things about his state of mind. Maybe I would relate him to Milos Raonic as well. Like, they're just two, gen- two members of that uh, in-between generation who've taken beatings from the, the greatest generation of all, year on year on year. Raonic is slightly different in that when he gets tight, he seems to get injured. Whereas Cilic's blister was the only kind of example of that in the Wimbledon final, generally, he... he, he doesn't seem to go physically in the way that Raonic seems to pick up injuries when he's very tight. But they both, I think, have scar tissue mentally. And again, the difference, Chilich has won a slam, Raonic hasn't. But they just feel to me like the guys who've, who've been bruised and, and battered one, one time too many by the legends that went before them. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. One last piece of business from, from the O2. <laughs> One last piece of business uh, from the O2 before we talk about other tennis news. Just a proposal that your uh, Telegraph colleague, Charlie Eccles, put forward at some stage this week, which was that, I mean, 
caveat, this is never going to happen. <laughs> Here we go. Then <laughs> we're going to talk years, about it anyway. It's never going to happen, unfortunately, because I think it's great um, that the eighth qualification spot for the NITO ATP finals goes to the winner of the next gen finals. Yeah, let's do that. Oh, that's great. Right, we're doing that. Um, who won the next gen finals again? Hyun Chung. Hmm. Would he, have, would he have added to the gaiety of nations here? He might have beaten Marin Cilic and Dominic Team. But he wouldn't have, he would have been Sock, wouldn't he? And Sock was pretty good, actually. I mean, despite the, the, the strategic tanking, Sock played his part, I reckon, this week. It's not necessarily about how much they could challenge, and I think, you know, depending on who it is, I think... Just imagine how good the next could challenge. I, th- I think it would finals would be if you yeah. knew there was a place on the line. It's like winning the FA Cup and getting a place in the Champions League. I love it. I think they wanted it though in um, in Milan. I, f- I felt like there was pretty plenty of desire on the table there. They did, but multiply that by a hundred, Simon, and imagine what you get. I, d- I love it. Anyway, it'll never says. ever happen. Go for it, David. Yeah. Oh, Catherine didn't say no. Uh, so, anyway, I asked this question. In future, let's have next-gen ATP finals winner getting the eighth spot in the finals uh, as a wild card. How about it? Uh, 35% say yes. What? This is 650 votes. 52% say no. 13% said let me think about it. But, I anyway, mean, I've got, uh, 52% say on. no, so I'm afraid we can't. Anyway, Sorry, well, Charlie. the ATP will say no, so... Alas. Yeah, but pole vault's obviously more Alas. important. Alas. It's, it's taken about 45 years to not even quite get a shot clock on court, so I don't think that's <laughs> going to be happening. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. 
Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Ivan Lendl and Andy Murray have announced this week that they are to split for a second time, or have split for a second time. They're like Dimitrov and Scherzinger. Um, And, uh, yeah, what do we think of that? Well, I was surprised at the time, in a way, in that it, because it came suddenly, it came late at night, we hadn't really had any tip-off, Simon's well, here. What time at night did it Simon's come, and how stressful was that for you, Simon's Simon? motioning the hair pulling out <laughs> that what, he did at the time, when it came through at 10pm. What time did it drop in your inbox? Did anybody, was anybody give, were there whispers? Were there, was there anything? Not a word, no. No, so anyway, that was... <laughs> That was a nice way to get him out of the bar. Um, but anyway, the for me, it came as a, a, a surprise in as much as I just hadn't even been thinking about it, really. I don't know about you, Simon. It just hadn't really occurred to me. I'd almost, I'd almost forgotten about Lendl. And that sort of tells you why it isn't surprising, really. The, the bottom line is this. Andy Murray has not been a tennis player for six months. He hasn't been a factor on the tennis circuit since this time last year. He, he, he's done nothing all year, really, of, of any great note. Yes, at the, maybe the French Open, he, he had that semi-final. That was a good performance. I don't know how big a factor Lendl was there. Lendl, as a coach to him, has been one of the, the greatest ever impact coaches I think we've, we've seen in, in the sport. Um, somebody who's just come on board and made the difference. He's the edge. But there's no point in being the edge when you aren't actually a tennis player. And at the moment, Andy Murray just needs to try to become a tennis player again. And until he is at the sharp end of something, trying to get over a cliff edge again, then there's no point in having a coach like that on board. There's a U2 joke in there somewhere, isn't there? No one's gonna. No, no one can come up with it. He kept saying the edge. There's a Bono slash O2 joke. I couldn't... I set you up there, Simon. Anyway. Sorry. It's late, everybody. It is late. Um, yeah. Well, what do you make of it? Yeah, I don't think, think it felt hugely surprising once it arrived because last time they split, it was partly to do with the fact that Andy wasn't really uh, fully over his back surgery. So, you know, Ivan, he wants to make an impact at the big events. He's not really interested in Dubai. He's not really interested in even in probably Cincinnati, you know, he's there for the slams. Um, And the slams really are uh, above and beyond what Murray is thinking about at the moment. He's thinking about whether he will be able to get on court in Brisbane on what might be New Year's Day, which that's another one to have my my hair being removed in in, in large handfuls. Um, That being the case then, do you, not the hair, the Lendl situation, do you think he might be open to offers from other prospective Grand Slam winning tennis players? Burditch um, made, made attempts, didn't he, to... Catherine's doing one of those faces, well, which suggests that he's not one of Well, because I said prospective Grand Slam winning tennis players, and I think it's controversial as to whether you'd currently include Burdick in that conversation, but... It has to, to be somebody who wanted to work. I mean, you, can you imagine, you imagine Kyrgios and Lendl? <laughs> I, I mean, please make that happen. And have the headset coaching, please. Please, somebody do that. That would be brilliant, wouldn't it? I mean, um, I was actually asking Shapovalov this week because he was here. I said, um, 
you know, do you think you might consider having an impact coach to use this newly formulated phrase David's just just unleashed on us? It's good, isn't it? Um, it's like an impact sub, is it? Yeah. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. Um, so anyway, uh, and, and I, I was mentioning McEnroe because, you know, you work with him in the Labour Cup and there's a sort of lefty thing maybe. Um, and he's fidgeting on the sidelines, desperate to do some coaching. Yeah, I mean, Shapovalov was like, well, I don't think I'm quite at that stage yet because the thing about the impact coach is that it is when you're sort of banging on the door, isn't it? That's generally when these guys get brought in. They're expensive, they have to be enthused, they have to think there's an opportunity. Um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe if, if... I mean, who, who, who are we talking about? We're talking about the next-gen guys, aren't we, really? Are we? I mean... Are we not you talking about people like... I'm not saying Dimitrov, but somebody like yeah, him. Yeah, Dimitrov, know. I mean... I'm just throwing out names here. Stan Wawrinka and Magnus Norman have, have split up. Yeah. He could be looking for a coach. I've always thought that Novak Djokovic and Ivan Lundell would make a good partnership. Yeah. I know Djokovic is sort of still loosely in whatever arrangement we're calling it that's not quite coaching with Agassi. And Agassi, incidentally, a week or so ago, did some uh, uh, press. I think we spoke to ESPN and a couple of other la- outlets uh, saying that, amongst other quotes, that Djokovic is going to set new standards for what a 36 year old tennis player can do i mean the bloke's only 30 that's six years into the future a lot can happen Nobody can't even i mean talk the about bigging up the guy's comeback yeah, talk, talk about hot air i mean you know agassi has always been one for for, for really um coming up with the left field but that, that, that's sort of ridiculous when we don't actually know whether novak really wants to play at the moment i mean he didn't want to play this year no. i mean um, my, my point essentially is that we've got a lot of top potential Grand Slam winning players on the sidelines without coaches and we've got a lot of one-time super coaches on the sidelines who potentially have had a taste of that and want a bit more you know Boris Becker is without a job I'm you know I'm we're sitting in the exact spot we were here last year when I looked down and saw Boris Becker taking his final photo of the O2 court with what uh, on what turned out to be his final day as a super coach he must be hankering and his he's just got a new job hasn't he leading German tennis generally so maybe, maybe he'll pick up a German player maybe one with shaggy hair he has hair. a fantastically mm-hmm. close relationship with Alex Verev I don't know if it would ever evolve into something official but I know that they ha- they have they already have a mentoring type relationship there's a, there's a super coach in that camp already though isn't there Juan Carlos Ferrero is there working with Papa what, what I'm getting at here is, would anyone care to make a bold prediction about a new um, top player plus super coach relationship, which we might see announced over the coming weeks? Anyone? 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 I'll make the bold prediction that there won't be one. You don't think there'll be anything? Not one of that You ilk, think this, no. this whole debate no, topic has been for nothing? I don't think Andy Murray is going to get a new coach anytime soon. I don't think Roger Federer is going to get a new Who's coach. Who's going to snap up Magnus Norman? I don't think Norman wants to coach wants at the it, moment. No. I think he. Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago. I said at the time he's had enough. He needs a break. And also, I'm not sure that anyone else really fancies working with Lendlorn and having that, that sort of gargoyle-like expression, sort of sort of uh, you know, boring into their soul from from the um, the players' box. 
Right then, the reign of the super coach is over. Everyone's going to start flying solo like they did uh, in the 80s. Great, okay. Um, my next topic of discussion, unfortunately, chaps, is also about coaching. It's moving swiftly on to uh, the WTA Tour, which has obviously uh, been largely dormant, but for the announcement that Angelique Kerber, former world number one, has ditched Torben Belts, the coach that helped her get there and win her Grand Slam titles. And she, practically in the same breath, has picked up a newly dropped coach of Joe Conta, Winfrey Set. I mean, talk about a merry-go-round. Yeah, it's, it, it is quite fun, actually, the <laughs> off-season for all this stuff. Um, yeah, I, Win, Winfrey Set's works with a lot of players now a lot of players it'd be quicker to name the ones he hasn't yeah i mean simona halep uh, victoria azarenka um i think caroline wozniacki for a a very short period i think he was he did a test with petra kvitova a year ago before working with johanna conta and now angelique kerber as you say that's pretty much the lot um but uh yeah i think Kerber, after the year she's had, just felt, I imagine, as though she just needed something new, a kickstart of some description. She'd reached the top of the mountain, hadn't she? Joe wanted to pick up Torben Belts just to do a straight swap. Yeah. Hogstead. I mean, what is it with the on the women's tour? So often they have a good year and then make a change. Caroline Wozniacki has got rid of Big Sasha. Yes, yeah, that's true. That's I, another weird I one. I find that really perplexing. I interviewed Sasha Budgin in Singapore, and he. That just seemed so successful, and they seemed to have a, a really good rapport. Um, he seemed uh, certainly on what he was saying is fully accepting that that her father delivers the on court messaging, etc. But he involves himself in the the strategy. But if you look at the career of Wozniacki, she hasn't had many external coaches for very long. She's had three or four now that have come on for a little while, and. It's it's always gone back to just her and her dad in the end. So maybe he wanted a, a, a couple of things more than he'd, he'd been having, whether it was more money or whether it was more say, who knows. Um, but I'm surprised by that because she's just had a brilliant year and the biggest title of her career. I'm surprised. Incidentally, I would like to say that I saw Johanna Conta on Friday at a, at a sponsor's junket and asked her, did you not have a disagreement over scheduling with Wim, which I've heard from multiple sources? And she flatly denied it. How reliable are the sources, Simon? Pretty reliable, I would say. Right then. Well, she does. She's pretty closed in terms of giving away bombs. Not that that's a bombshell, but would you necessarily expect her to to give something like that away if if that were the case? She she likes to keep a certain amount of stuff private, doesn't she? It will be, I'd be very surprised if she didn't announce some kind of coach at some point. I can't imagine her no, flying I, solo I for very long. No, I she would need a coach. Yeah. Um, it's just she needs the right coach, so we'll see. Are you I mean, reading through your own well, work, Simon? I'm looking back, because I wrote a piece about this, this, this pattern, you know, people who got rid of coaches who, who've, who've made big strides with them, Bouchard and Saviano, Kerber and Belt the previous time, they split up. I mean, it makes more sense this year because they've had a shocker. But 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 she was having the first top ten season. I think she got rid of him, and uh, so that that's four examples now in in you know among high profile players, and it's just a bit baffling. I'm not quite sure what's going on. Quick question, Simon. Uh, before we finish up here, uh, are we going to see Serena Williams at the Australian Open? Ooh. She's just got married, hasn't she? Just got married. Congratulations. Congratulations, Serena.
Well, again, I mean, we're on to the, the, the issue of w- what state is a player's body in, and my hunch would be no, but I, it wouldn't be a shock. Who's That's, the player of the year? Close to the Federer, so, what, what are we doing here, David? I just want to know, because Simon, you know, Simon's not going to be on an end-of-year show. We don't have to reveal our views. But I've got one last agenda item before we embark on this stuff. Player of the year, what? Men's. Men's. Yeah. Nadal or Federer? Federer. Who's the women's player of the year? Who's the women's player of the year? Um, the WTA think it's Muguruza. It's not easy, is it? Um... So I'll ask you a different question. Yeah. What do you make of the announcement this week? This is my last agenda item, David, before you, you look at me with those tired eyes one more time. Uh, the announcement this week by the ATP that from 2019, the UK rights to the, a large portion of the uh, ATP events, including all the ATP Masters 1000 events, uh, will be shown on Amazon prime and not no longer by sky yeah well i i mean first of all i'd I'd just like to say i think sky have done a fantastic job over the last 25 years for tennis and uh and all of their production people commentators their their schedulers that they've done a great job for tennis they've helped really establish that master series as 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 it's it's been home for it um and um and, and that element of it is a shame that having been said you know, this is the way the world's going, and Amazon are big players. That is a great deal for the ATP that will swell their coffers further, and it puts them at the forefront of what is going to be part of the future of consuming sport on television. And let's hope they really get behind the sport and, and showcase it and take it th- that coverage to an even greater level. I think it's quite exciting, really. Yeah, basically, as people that are in- invested in the success of tennis, we just want it to be shown on whatever platform it's going to be the biggest success, really. I find it sad that Sky don't want to invest in it even further. I think um, the um, escalation of the football rights arms race has sort of put such a stranglehold on budgets that sadly there isn't a lot of room for sports besides football and that makes me a bit sad as much as I like football um, it's a shame for other I'm very reluctant to use the word minority sports but relative to football minority sports so if Amazon take it over and show real commitment to it good luck to them there was an interesting stat that the average age of the ATP viewer is 61 um, God, I am not the target demographic. Actually, the, I think for the WTA, it was like 55. So it's quite a, quite a big difference. Um, for golf, it's like 65. So it's, it's not the oldest sport. And they're all, they're all older than you would expect, uh, whatever, whatever they use to gather this information. But you just slightly wonder whether some of those um, older people will, will be that keen on streaming services in the short term. I guess, you know, if it's any, any place they can watch tennis and they're dead keen, they'll... they'll figure it out my parents are more expert at crane casting than i am in fact my parents mm. taught me how to crane cast i don't even know what that 60s. is so well done yeah Catherine's parents yeah <laughs> it is possible i mean fundamentally it is incredibly easy isn't it and it's the way i mean it's not even the way the world is going it's the way the world has already gone so it's um it's a forward-looking move and uh, yeah we hope they do this wonderful sport justice and on that note simon Thank you very much for your belated but sparkling appearance. It's good having Simon. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you didn't come back to me with the uh, Women's Fair of the Year. I mean, there isn't one, is there? Well, the WTA think it's Gabinia Muguruza. 
But I, trying to pick one out, yeah, is, is a challenge because it's been such a level playing field. I, I think I you've got to go with the one person who won a slam and was number one. I, I think in the absence of any other singular decisive factor, I'm, I'm guiding you here, Simon. Yeah, I mean, in, she, she, she is the closest, isn't she? And on that note, you could, we could have left it on sparkling contribution, but yeah. we've left it there. <laughs> David, thank you for your equally sparkling contribution. As always, next week, Dave, well, not even next week, days away, we will be live, or certainly I will be live. David will be remotely at the Davis Cup final in Lille to report in person on the ground on exactly how how well uh, David Goffin's poor. slight frame has pulled up uh, from this week uh, for the Davis Cup final in Lille a 29,000 seater stadium You're that is be there. sold out for all three days of You'll the be Davis there for Cup a final podcast. between France and Belgium and I can't wait there'll be daily shows from... there will be daily shows we'll have a preview on Thursday after the draw and then we'll have daily shows Friday Saturday and Sunday I probably should declare that I am one eighth Belgian but yeah. in spite of that, I will maintain all journalistic integrity, or Who's I certainly do win? my best to. Well, if, if, you have to pick France, don't you? I mean, yeah. it, def- it defies belief not to pick France. But I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't have picked Belgium to be anywhere near the final mm. on the basis of uh, on the basis of the strength of in depth of their team. So. I'm not sure anyone's stopping David Goffin in his two singles matches. I mean, unless he really is carrying a problem, I think he's playing so well. So you think he'll come down to the doubles? Yeah, I mean, I quite fancy Belgium. Goodness me, we've got Ooh. a prediction out of Simon Briggs. Like that, like that. I'm going France, but I, I'm really I looking like forward to this. Choke again. I'm not going to make a prediction because I must maintain my journalistic integrity. <laughs> and okay. I've, uh, I've declared, I've declared my... Uh, diluted allegiance. She'll break. And on that note, I mean it this time. We have been the tennis podcast brought to you from an almost completely disassembled O2 arena, brought to you also in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. And we will be back in a mere four days. 